great. Today uh, we are finishing out the series that we've been in called Lost Books of the Bible. And um, I love that video that Caleb made for us, our friend Caleb. There he is back there. Everybody give it up for Caleb. Thanks, buddy. You're awesome. Caleb is so gifted in that, and um, he's a gift to us because he does that for free for all the different things that we do. Um, that's that He just gives that, and that's his livelihood, all right? That's what he does for a living is he makes films, and people pay him to do that, right? And, um, and yet he gives that away free to us, so we really appreciate that, man. Um, I love the way he captures that, okay? That's the heart of what we've been getting after through this whole series, this idea that Scripture is this treasure, and, and, and oftentimes it's this hidden treasure, right, that's right here, and, um, and it's just waiting to be explored. But we leave so much of it unexplored. There's so much hidden treasure in Scripture that remains hidden treasure because we don't search after it with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so um, Jesus invites us into that as the author of the Word, as the central character of the Word. He invites us to search it, and he says that he will be found when we search for him. And so that's what we've been trying to do through this book, through this series. Um, Lost Books of the Bible, we've been talking about these books um, that are often overlooked, um, sometimes ignored, sometimes intentionally avoided because of the difficult content um, within the book. And uh, today we're looking at some stuff that's some content that, that is really difficult to wrestle through. Um, we started with Job, and we talked about the book of Nehemiah. We talked about the book of Jude, and uh, we talked about the book of Lamentations last week. And this week, we are finishing it out here with the prophet Hosea, okay? The prophet Hosea. So the book of Hosea is the first uh, of this section of the Old Testament known as the Minor Prophets, okay? Sometimes called the Twelve Prophets, and it's the first book um, of that section. They're called minor prophets, not because they're less significant, okay, but because their books are smaller, their books are shorter. And uh, the other writing prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they, they have the larger uh, books, and these guys are, are known as minor because of the, the size of those books. Um, but we know that in the kingdom of God, those are, those are mustard seeds, right, that he plants in us and cultivates in us and brings out more fruit than we ever expected to see. So we're digging into uh, this book, Hosea, today. Some of the other books that we've looked at um, are speaking to moments of tragedy, okay? They're speaking uh, to people when they're coming out of or they're on the other side of or maybe right in the midst of these moments of difficulty and tragedy, Hosea is a little bit different. Hosea comes as a warning to the people of Israel uh, because they have actually been through this time of prosperity. They've been through this time of expansion as a nation, and they've developed this national pride that has led them into arrogance. And it's led them into this place of looking at all their prosperity, looking at all of the blessing around them, and they begin to assume that it's about them. And so in the process of that, their hearts grow hard. Their hearts actually begin to turn away from God, who is the source of all of the blessing of their lives. And they begin to pursue. Not only do they turn away from God as their first love, but they begin to pursue the worship of other gods. 
They look around at the cultures around them and they begin to adopt some of their worship practices because they want to see this prosperity continue to roll, right? They want to see this success, just they want to build on it. And so just to be safe, they start the worship practice of these other cultures around them as well. And so in the midst of that, God speaks to his people and he sends his prophet Hosea with a message to them. Now, we've, we've talked several times about the idea that the prophet speaks on behalf of God. And so we often think of that just in terms of the words of God coming to the people. But this time, God sends Hosea and he says, I have a message for you to deliver, but I want you to do more than just preach this message. I want you to embody this message. I want you to become a living parable. I, I want you to live it out, to act it out in a dramatic way in front of the people so that they can see the message being played out right in front of their eyes. Now, that sounds inspiring, doesn't it? Like, we would probably all say, yeah, I want to be the living message of God to this community, right? I want my life to embody what God has to say to this community. But when we dig into what that message is, then it begins to break our hearts, in the way that this gets played out. See, here's the message. God is saying to his people, I am faithful. I have made a covenant with you, and I will never break my promises. I will not break my promises. I will not break the covenant vows that I have made to you. My love is undying and unfailing for you. That is the part that God wants Hosea to demonstrate an unfailing, unswerving kind of love. However, he says, my people Israel have responded to my faithfulness with a pattern of unfaithfulness. That I've poured out this love on them and they've looked at the one who loves them and they've turned their hearts away and they begin to chase after other lovers, it says in the book. And it uses this, this, is, this kind of imagery. And so what God tells Hosea to do is this unthinkable thing. He says, I want you to play my part in this. I want you to show the people what my heart is for them. And then I want you to show them what their heart is to me. So I want you to go, Hosea. And I want you to intentionally marry an unfaithful wife. I want you to marry a wife who is going to be unfaithful to you. And you know that going into this process because the people need to see what the relationship has been like. This is heartbreaking. This is heartbreaking. And so God instructs him to marry a woman named Gomer. And can we just get it out there that uh, that's a really unfortunate name. All right. Let's just be honest about that up front. All right. Gomer is her name, okay? And so he asks Hosea to marry Gomer, but there's a part of Gomer's life that is far more unfortunate than that. And it's the fact that not only does she have a reputation for being unfaithful, but Gomer is a prostitute. And so he tells Hosea to go and marry Gomer, a prostitute, bring her out of that life of prostitution and into a covenant marriage relationship. Now, here's what we did to get our minds around right from the start. Okay, 
uh, we got to think about not just what Scripture says, right? That's so important. But in order to really understand what Scripture says, we also need to think about where it's being said, when it's being said, and then we can understand the why of it all, okay? And that gives us the context for this. And so when we look at the historical context of it, we need to not think about this idea of prostitution in the sense of just promiscuity, Okay, this isn't just about sexual promiscuity. In that culture, in that time, think about Middle Eastern culture 2,500 years ago. Okay, this is not about promiscuity as much as it is about human trafficking. Okay, get that picture in your mind when you're thinking of Gomer. Before we begin to cast judgment on her, think about her in the context of her story. We're thinking human trafficking, okay? And the reality is that is still the same today, okay? That is still the same today, and we need to think about that. We we look back on past cultures, and we cast this judgment, but right now today, there are 27 million slaves in the world right now. That's more than any other time in human history. Not some culture way back then, far away it's present right here it's in our state it's in our state and because of our personal proximity to interstate 85 and interstate i-40 it is in our backyard it's happening in our community and our hearts need to be broken for that don't look back on these past um, cultures with judgment look at yourself look at ourselves and we need to be awakened on that we need to have our hearts broken about that but back to gomer and this idea of 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 prostitution that she's in here's here's the reality okay think about 2500 years ago middle eastern culture what kind of rights did women have in that culture none all right Next to nothing when it comes to their rights, okay? And so because of that culture and because of that setup, uh, women were dependent in that day on the most significant male in their lives. So as they're growing up, that's the father figure in their lives. And then when they get old enough to get married uh, and they are married, then it becomes that husband figure in their lives, okay? And that was the cultural norm. That was the cultural setup, the, the way society worked. Now, oftentimes, the men in that scenario would fail, okay? So either it's a failure of the family or maybe some kind of tragedy that strikes the family and removes that figure from the picture, whatever it is, from time to time, that would happen. And then what are they left to do? We would, we would consistently see people fall into these moments of tragedy, and then oftentimes, they were sold into prostitution, as a means of survival, not just for them, but for their families as well. It is gut-wrenching. It is heartbreaking to even think about that scenario. But once again, that is something that happens currently now today as well in many parts of the world. This is Gomer's scenario, okay? Most likely, it's not just that Gomer is a promiscuous woman. It's most likely all of these different factors coming together and putting her in this place where she is a slave okay that is 
what she has become in her life. And it's into that scenario that it tells us in chapter 1 that Hosea steps into her life, demonstrating the faithful love of God to his people. And he finds her in slavery, and he brings her out of slavery and into freedom and into a covenant marriage relationship with him. Does that sound familiar at all? Does that sound like any other story that we've heard from Scripture? The central story of the Old Testament is that story right there, where God goes to his people who are in slavery, the people of Israel, and he brings them out into freedom, and he makes a covenant with them and makes a covenant relationship with them. And when Hosea does this for Gomer, it is intentionally mirroring that history and God's faithful love to his people. Now, Hosea is faithful to her, and they are in a relationship together, and they have children together. And so he rescues her, brings her into a covenant relationship. It's a very beautiful, very moving picture to see. And then comes chapter 3, and the story shifts in a heartbreaking way chapter three we're going to look at verses one through three and here's how it starts the lord said to me this is hosea speaking the lord said to me go show your love to your wife again again that's a key idea right there okay though she is loved by another and is an adulteress love her as the lord loves the israelites though they turn to other gods though they turn their hearts to other gods, okay? Now, you see what's happening here? We've got a shift from chapter 1, and what it seems like has happened is, and what it tells us has happened, is that Gomer, even though she's been rescued out of slavery, brought into freedom, brought into a covenant relationship with Hosea, she turns her heart away from Hosea. And she goes after the life that she used to live. She turns her heart away from the one who loved her and rescued her. And she goes chasing back after those empty relationships she had before. Those relationships that exploited her. Those relationships that were twisted. Those relationships that put no value whatsoever on her life. And she goes chasing after those. And she abandons her covenant vows that she has made to Hosea. She breaks her covenant vows and she chases after another. This is an exact picture of this this cycle we've been talking about over the last several weeks. We talk about the Old Testament, you know, and we've been drawing that cycle, the Old Testament in 30 seconds, right? Where God brings his people into covenant and then the people respond Not with faithful love back to God, but with rebellion. They turn their hearts from him and then they fall into defeat. But when they repent, God rescues them and then brings them back again into this relationship of covenant. Okay, and we see that Hosea, that Gomer has done this. She's broken her covenant vows with Hosea. And in rebellion, she's turned her heart away and she's chasing after her old life she willingly goes back into a life of slavery there's no need to glorify what prostitution might have been like in that day it was slavery and she goes back willingly into that 
kind of relationship. Her heart chases after that. This is graphic imagery that God uses to intentionally show the people this is what it looks like. This is what your lives look like. And it's not just for them. The reality is, the hard-to-stomach reality is that it's for us to rescue, brought into covenant, and yet we rebel and chase after the things we loved before and forget the first love and the deep love and the one who's loved us so faithfully. It's heartbreaking. Man, this is heartbreaking to see this happen for Hosea. And so if I'm Hosea's friend and I'm advising him, I'm like, man, it's over. All right. She's made her choice. It is over. Walk away. And that's what we would think Hosea should do. But he responds by doing the unthinkable. It says this as the passage goes on. It says that she that he searches for her until he finds her. And this is what it says in verse two. So I bought her back. I bought her back for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave in the same way to you. Okay, so this is what he does. This is unthinkable. This is unbelievable. But he goes back until he finds her and buys her back to bring her back into covenant relationship. Now, hopefully you are really unsettled at the language of this passage. All right. Hopefully this makes you very uncomfortable when you think about this image of Hosea purchasing Gomer back. Okay. What we need to understand is this, though. We're not talking about Hosea purchasing her as if she were his property. Okay, what we're thinking about here is that Hosea purchases her freedom. Okay, pays for her freedom and buys her back out of that life of slavery that she ran back into. He pays the price for her freedom again. That's the way we need to think about this scenario. Uh, It's the idea of redemption. Right. We use that term all the time in Christianity to talk about God's relationship with us, that he redeems us. Right. This idea of redemption. Salvation is redemption. Well, that word actually comes from this culture and from this time. It's an economic idea. It's an economic idea. And the definition of to redeem is to buy back. And that's what's going on in this picture. Hosea representing God and Gomer representing us. And Hosea buys her back. He pays the price for her redemption to bring her back into freedom, to free her out of slavery again and into that covenant relationship once again. Now, it gets even worse Okay, when we look at this and and, and it just makes the stomach churn even worse when we look at the way that the price is described here. Okay, they're talking about a life and yet it's talking about 15 shekels of silver and then some barley. Right. This is heartbreaking to think about the historical context of it tells us that the price. Of purchasing a slave and bringing freedom to them of this day was actually 30 shekels of silver. So Hosea pays half of that. He only pays 15 shekels of silver. What's going on? 
Is this kind of a significant thing to say, well, because of Gomer's sin and because she did this, that now her worth has changed in Hosea's eyes. Now she's not worth as much to him as she was before. So he only pays half. He only pays 15 pieces of silver. No, it's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. The barley piece is mentioned and the context tells us and the history tells us that that amount of barley was worth about 15 shekels of silver. So what we have here is a person who's not like paying half, right? Instead, what we've got is this picture of a desperate husband who probably doesn't have 30 pieces of silver. So he takes the 15 that he's got and he pulls together the rest of his resources to try to pull together enough to pay the price for his bride and to bring her into freedom that's the picture that we have here he's doing everything he can to pull together his resources to make this freedom a reality for her again to pay the full price that is being asked and it's more than worth it the thing is it's not that gomer is worth less to hosea it's that gomer is worth everything to hosea So he pulls together whatever he's got to make that happen. Now, even with all of that kind of context, even trying to place ourselves back into that scenario, hopefully you are still really just uneasy about this whole story. This story just messes me up. It's been messing with me. And this idea, even that number, 30 pieces of silver. Are you kidding me? We're talking about the life of a person for 30 pieces of silver? I don't care how long ago you put it. I don't care what context you put it in. That is heartbreaking to think of that. And it's been messing with me. And then it dawned on me. I don't know why it took me so long to see it, but it dawned on me. There is another place in the Bible where a person is sold for 30 pieces of silver there's a moment in the gospels where the religious authorities have been out to get jesus where they're closing in on jesus the opposition is building they pull together this plot to kill jesus and they've got somebody on the inside and they get to one of jesus's closest friends one of his 12 disciples and they go to judas and they play on the greed of judas and they convince him to hand Jesus over to them so that they can put Jesus on trial and then put Jesus to death. And what is the price that they promise to give to Judas? 30 pieces of silver. Jesus is sold to his death for 30 pieces of silver. The most treasured life All of the treasure of heaven. So yes, it breaks our heart, but understand that part of it. This is powerful. This is beautiful. What is the worth of your life? What is the worth of your life? They put 30 pieces of silver as the price tag on the life of Jesus. But Jesus says the price tag on your life is my life. Your life is worth my life. 
And Jesus willingly, as the treasure of heaven, pours himself out for you to buy your redemption, to pay the price for your freedom, and to bring you out of rebellion and into covenant relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. His life for your life. What is the price of your life? His. That's what you're worth to him. And that's the price he paid for you. It's powerful. Now this whole picture totally shakes up our sense of value. Right? And we look at scripture and oftentimes we'll think, we'll look around us and we'll say, well, the kingdom of God is for the priests and the kingdom of God is for the prophets. But Jesus says to us, the kingdom of God is for the prostitutes. I buy you. You are worth everything to me. You are mine. And I bring you out of that slavery and into a covenant relationship of freedom with me. The kingdom of God is for the prostitutes. What a revolutionary thought. As the Gospels dawn with the book of Matthew, the very beginning of the Gospels, what we get is a genealogy that traces back through the history of Jesus to show us how we got to Jesus. It walks us through Jesus' family tree. And there's some odd pieces to that. One of the most strange things is that the names of several women show up in that genealogy. And in that day and time, women didn't show up in the official record of a family tree because they weren't given that much worth, as heartbreaking as that is. And yet the gospel's countercultural, countercultural in that way, revolutionary in that way, intentionally tell us the name of several key women. And some of those women, the Old Testament tells us, were prostitutes. In Jesus' family tree. Jesus says the kingdom of God is for the prostitutes. Absolutely. And then we look at the life of Jesus. And who do we see gathered around his table as the guests of honor? The religious authorities go nuts over this, right? They look and they see who Jesus is hanging out with. The tax collectors, the sinners. And it specifically says over and over again, and the prostitutes. These are Jesus' people. And that's good news for you and me. That is good news for you and me. We are brought to the table, no matter what our past is, no matter what our history is. And we are brought into covenant relationship with God through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. That's our story. That is our story. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, the whole treasure of heaven poured out for us that's how he sees you and that is how much he loves you you are his people you are his people you might feel so far from him today you are his people he's got a seat at the table saved for you you're a guest of honor in the kingdom and he wants to bring you out of slavery and into covenant relationship with him let me just say this quickly if that is your history If your story feels like it runs far too close to Gomer's, then understand you are a guest of honor in this place. You are our people. We are your people. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And no matter what your past might be, 
He's got a future carved out for you. And he can't wait to pour that out on you. This is an incredible story. The story of Hosea is an incredible story, but the reality is it's a terrible story. It's a terrible story. It's heartbreaking the way we see this playing out. It's heartbreaking what Hosea goes through and what Gomer goes through. It's heartbreaking that this is a mirror image of God's relationship with his people and of God's relationship with us. It's heartbreaking the way it reveals the depth of our sin like that. It's heartbreaking in that way. It's so beautiful as we see God's unfailing love and God's faithfulness that will never break a promise and the way he continues to be relentless in his love for us. But these other things make it so difficult. It's also terrible for this reason. Because the challenge is so bold to us. Because it's asking every single one of us to do what God asked Hosea to do. This book is so difficult to swallow because Jesus is coming to each and every one of us. And he's saying, I hope that you can present the truth of the gospel in speech. But you know what I really want you to do? I want you to embody it. I want you to live it out. I want you to act it out. I want you to be a living parable of what the kingdom of God looks like in the world. The kingdom of God is like you. The kingdom of God is like you. The kingdom of God is like Robert, our friend who's a part of the church, who walks up and down the street every day. And Robert weeps over people in this community, he weeps over people and he prays for them. He's broken hearted by the things that he sees in people's life. The kingdom of God is like Ben, who's gifted as an artist and displays the beauty of God through his art and is willing to share it with anybody who will listen. The kingdom of God is like that. It's living, it's breathing, it's a moving parable. It's a moving parable. And he's challenging every single one of us to embody the message boldly, bravely, and sacrificially to live it out. Just like he asked Hosea to do. Today, as we're closing our time together, we're going to celebrate the table of Jesus We're going to celebrate this moment where Jesus is around the table with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. Oftentimes it's called communion. Other times it's called the Eucharist. Eucharist means great thanksgiving. It's a gratitude, right? This feast of thanksgiving. We're all about to celebrate that this coming week. But today as a family, we're coming around this Thanksgiving table with gratitude for what Jesus has done For every single one of us. For the price that he paid for us. And Jesus was there around the table with his disciples. This group of people that nobody else wanted. And Jesus said, I'm going to take this group right here. And turn the whole world upside down with them. And he took the bread that was on the table with his friends. It already had such rich symbolism to it, but he adds even deeper layers of meaning by breaking the bread and saying, this bread is like my body. 
that is broken for you. And then he takes the cup. And he says this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. Poured out for your forgiveness so that you can be freed from slavery. Brought into freedom and into a relationship with God. To become a part of the new covenant through the blood of Christ. Through the filling of the spirit and being welcomed home by the father. We're going to celebrate that today. We're going to celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. That represents the whole treasure of heaven being poured out for our redemption because that's what you are worth to him. As you come to the table today, everybody's welcome at Jesus's table. Okay, you look at his table throughout the Gospels and you see the least likely sitting around him. The kingdom of God is for prostitutes and you are welcome at his table. You need to understand this, that by participating In this, you are embracing the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you. And it's also not just something you're receiving, but it's something you're responding to. It is something you are entering into. And by participating in communion, you are making your covenant vows to Jesus. And you're saying, this is my life. You have my life, just like you gave your life. For me, So we're going to invite you in just a moment just to come forward. We'll start on this side and come down, tear off a piece of the bread. All right. As we say, don't tear off a tiny little piece. No crumbs in the kingdom. Okay. Tear off a big piece of bread. Dip it in the cup and then taste and see that the Lord is good. The table is open and you are welcome. Amen.